Yeah, good morning. It's great to be with you here today. My name is Ricky. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, we Last week, Austin kicked us off in the book of Hebrews, and we're going to be going through uh, that book uh, for, for quite a while, but excited about that. So if you do have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews is pretty far to the right, so uh, maybe go to the back of the Bible and start going forward. If you get to like 1 Peter, 1 John, Revelation, you've gone a little too far. Other than that, it's pretty far back there. So, um, so question for you, who is the greatest basketball player of all time? Who's the GOAT? No, Jeff, it's not Kobe. He's not even in the discussion. Okay, in case you're wondering, I just knew that everybody's been just itching to answer this question all week, but I just wanted to clear it up for you guys. The greatest basketball player of all time is Michael Jordan. He just is... LeBron is second, but, uh, but it's Michael Jordan, and he played in the 80s and 90s, and I mean, he was just amazing. Everybody, even if you didn't like the Bulls, you still loved watching him play because he was just so good. Um, so uh, we're actually just going to kind of watch a few highlights of him playing. So go ahead and check this out. I think this is from the 80s. Here he comes, court, court on a steal all the way in, and he just... But he certainly slumped there. Jordan goes in for a jump called to Bosford. See, he was just taking these in that other one. I mean, he goes up over two passes from behind. He missed the 15 foot off the rim. He got a corner. So Michael Jordan named it. Outside cheeks, ball tipped away by Jordan. It's loose to three. And then to Jordan for the breakaway. Michael hesitation. Little brings it into the front court. Ahead to three. Back to Jordan. Mercy. The foul on Wingate is his first. Pretty pass and yes. Remaining fourth quarter. Jordan getting loose. All right, um, six championship rings. Every once in a while I have this dream where I could fly kind of like Michael Jordan. Yeah, I was credit at basketball, um, but it was cool. Um, now, I know you're like, hey, that's pretty cool because it is Michael Jordan, but I'm sure a bunch of you are thinking this. Ricky, could you have not gotten a better video, right? Like that, that's pretty grainy. The quality is really bad. Um, and that's intentional. So, I mean, he played during the 80s. And for those of you that uh, don't remember, um, that's kind of what it looked like watching TV in the 80s. You didn't really re realize it at the time when you were alive because that's what everybody had. But the TV quality back then was just not very good, right? There was nothing, there was no flat screen. You just had this gigantic box that was like half the size of a coffin. I don't know, man. This thing was just huge. And... Um, and so that's just what you watch TV on. There was no high definition um, HDMI cable. That, did, that didn't even exist. You're like, if you know, traveled back to 80 self, that person would be like, what, what is that? Um, but the quality was just really bad. Um, and so if I, if I said, hey, you can, you can see this greatness um, on that, uh, on this old kind of TV setup, or what if I got you courtside seats? And you could see Jordan in person, right? I mean, you, you, you'd be right there, right on the bench, whatever it is. Maybe we could even get you in the game and you could see him perfectly in person. I mean, it'd be even better than high definition because high definition, the thing that makes it awesome is that it's so close to the real, right? But it's still not the real thing. And so if we could get you right there, right so close. I mean, you could get a feel for the game, how fast he's actually going, how high he's actually jumping, everything. You can either have that or you can watch it on the old screen. What would you do? 
right? I mean, it's obvious, right? You'd be like, well, there's no way I'm going to do that. I'm going to definitely watch him in person because it's just so much better, right? Why would I ever want to take the lesser thing over the greater thing? And so our author today in the book of Hebrews, that, that's kind of the idea that he's pressing in to his readers, right? With all this persecution that it, you're experiencing, with all these tough times, with all these things around you, with all these distractions or your old life, is Jesus really greater? Would you ever not want the greater thing for the lesser thing? And so open up to Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to pick it up in verse 4. And so he says this, having become, talking about Jesus, as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And so previously the author has been saying, hey, Jesus is better than the prophets. He's greater than the prophets. And now he's focusing on Jesus is greater than the angels. In verse 5, he quotes the Old Testament. He does that a lot in this chapter. And he says, for which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be a, um, to me a son. And so first point, first observation is the son is greater than the servants. The son is greater than the servants, greater than the angels. And so he says in verse 4, he says that, that Jesus has inherited, has been given a name that is superior to the, to the angels, and that name is Son. And so back in, uh, in verse 3, when Jesus died, he made the purification for sin and he triumphed over death and Satan. He, you know, it says that he sat down at the right hand of the throne. And so he was enthroned, placed as the right hand of God and, and made king. And so when, when uh, in the Old Testament, when, when there was a king that was made, they would have this announcement, this acclamation uh, of it of like, hey, now he, he is king. Even though it's been his right since birth, there's kind of this acclamation of that. And that's kind of what's going on here, is that one of this, the ways that he is, this acclamation is happening is that God the Father is declaring, Jesus, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And this is what it says in Romans 1 verse 4. And it says, uh, talking about Jesus, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And so because of what Jesus has done, because of his death, because of his resurrection, because of his victory, he is now declared to be God the Son, the Son of God. It's something that has always been true of Jesus. It's always been his right uh, for, from eternity past to eternity future, but it's now, be, it's now being shown in demonstration. Does that make sense? It's not just like, hey, you're the king, we all know it, and that's what, what is. It's now because of his resurrection um, that we see that. It's not a change of status, but it's a change of demonstration because of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And so here the author is making this very clear. The son is greater than the servants. He's greater than the angels. So right, right, like an angel, or even you and me, we might be called sons of God, but never the son of God. That would be Jesus. And so he, he goes through these Old Testament quotes to prove this point. 
And so the second quote from, from uh, verse 5, he says, Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. That's from 2 Samuel chapter 7. And this is talking about the Messiah, the promised son. And, and the author here, he quotes uh, throughout the Old Testament uh, repeatedly, and he quotes from the Psalms, he quotes from uh, 2 Samuel, and he quotes from Deuteronomy. And so this is all the major sections of the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, and the writings. And the author is saying, hey, the entire Old Testament is showing you, is declaring to you that the son, Jesus, is greater. And in verse 6, where it says um, the firstborn, just to make sure that you know what that means, that doesn't mean like born first. That doesn't mean that Jesus was all of a sudden brought into being or, or, or created because the author has told us already, and he tells us again, that Jesus, the son, has created everything. And in verse 8, it says that his throne is forever and ever. And so when it's talking about firstborn, it's talking about rank and honor. And so in, in these times, the firstborn was the one that inherited the name, the family name, and had the inheritance. And here, that, that, that honor, that rank is, is going to Jesus. And so because of all this, because Jesus is greater than the angels, he inherited the name son, he is the promised son, what do we see happen? Last part of verse 6, let all God's angels worship him. Right? All the angels are worshiping Jesus because of who he is, because of what he's done. They're worshiping him. And so when, when people encounter angels in, in, in the Bible, it, it's, they're, they're like frightened. They're freaked out because these angels are awesome. They're very powerful. It's not like one of these like little pudgy babies with tiny wings and you're wondering how they're actually flying around, right? I mean, these things are huge. They're awesome. And many times when they encounter these angels, they'll fall down and bow down to these angels. And these angels are like, no, no, no. Don't worship me. I'm not the point. I, I worship the Son. The Son is the point. Jesus is the point. We're worshiping Him. He's the one that is greater. And, and, in, and they worship Him, not just because He's the Son, but because He is God. Jesus is God. In verse 6, where it says, let, let, the angel, the, let God's angels worship him. That's back in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And in that section, it's talking about Yahweh. In, in, in verses 10 and 12, where it says, Lord, that's Yahweh. And so the author is saying, Jesus is God. Jesus is fully God. He is the one that we are worshiping. Angels, they're just a messenger. They're just a servant. Jesus, he's the son, he is God. And again, we read this in verse three last week, right? He's the exact imprint of his nature, the radiance of the glory of God. And because Jesus is so much greater, because he is God, the, the angels, really everything is worshiping him. And so in verse seven, the author keeps going to make his point. He says, of the angels, he says, so this is like God saying this of the angels, he makes his angels winds and he makes and his ministers a flame of fire. And so what he's saying is like angels are legit. They, they are awesome. They're pretty magnificent. But for as awesome as they are, they're still just messengers. Right? They're still just servants. But, but Jesus, he, he is greater. He is better. See, 
Angels are messengers. They've been given a message to say. Jesus is the one that's speaking. I mean, when a prophet or an angel would talk, they'd say, hey, the Lord says, or thus says the Lord. But when Jesus comes on the scenes, Jesus says, but I tell you, right? Jesus hasn't just been given this word from, from God. He is God and he is the word. But angels, they've been given that message to them. Verse 13 and 14. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? The answer is none of them. Right? Verse 14, it says, are they angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who inherit salvation? Again, just pointing this out, angels are not as great as Jesus. They surround the throne. Jesus sits on the throne. Angels serve those who, who um, inherit salvation, Jesus brings salvation. And, and just to be clear in, in all this, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Jesus is the only one that brings us life, the only one that can save us from our sin, because every single one of us, we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And, and, and there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves, there's nothing that we can do to make ourselves Right with, with God alone is only by Jesus, by his death, by his resurrection, that we can be made right with God. And if you haven't trusted in Jesus today, I just want to let you know you're, you're still separated from God. You're still, you still are lost in your sin. You're still spiritually dead because there is no other way for you to be saved except through Jesus Christ. And I don't know what you're trusting in. I don't know if you're like, hey, I just don't... I don't, I'm just trusting in science or logic or, hey, I'm just trusting in how good I am or, or hey, I'm a, I don't really do really bad things. I don't know what it is that you're trusting in. But I just want to tell you, whatever it is that you're trusting in it is inferior to Jesus. He's the only one that's paid the price for your sin. He's the only one that's died in your place. He's the only one that can save you. And so I just encourage you, trust in Jesus. Give your life to Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. And so, again, these angels, they are sent by God. It says in verse 14 that they are all ministering spirits sent to those who inherit salvation. And so, just to kind of make sure what, what our, our idea of angels is. Angels are sent to serve us. To serve people that will inherit salvation. And just to kind of clear things up, we don't become angels. Right? I don't, I've heard this sometime when, you know, like when somebody kind of dies... Um, and, and it's usually kind of maybe a little too soon. And, you know, somebody will say something like, well, you know, God just needed another one of, one more angel in heaven. You know, that, that's why they die. Um, and I get that, that, that I don't want to like diminish that. I mean, when somebody does die, that's really hard. It's very difficult. Um, it's a lot of grief, but I do want to clear it up. We don't become angels, right? And, and also God doesn't need anything. He's God. And so God is never, man, I just need an extra angel around here. Okay? That just never happens. He's God. And, and again, we don't become angels. They're sent to serve us, to minister to us. And so the author here, he's saying, hey, Jesus is sitting as king. Angels are sent as servants. There's only one king. There's many servants, angels. And Christ is king over the church, and he sends his angels to do his bidding for the church. Right? There, Jesus is greater. Now, 
<clears throat> I'm sure a bunch of you are wondering, hey, Ricky, thanks. That was really cool. But I don't really struggle with thinking that angels are actually greater than Jesus. Um, in all my time in ministry, I've never heard somebody like, hey, Ricky, I'm just really struggling with something. I just think angels are so much better, right? I've just never had that happen. If you're in that boat, let's talk. So you could be the first. It'd be great. Um, so you might be asking yourself, hey, how does this really apply to me? I'm so glad you asked. Um, we're still on the same page. Um, so I think one, one of the ways that we you know, are kind of struggling with this is we get too focused on the servant rather than the son. We get too focused on the servant rather than the son. <clears throat> so I mean, back then, we, we don't for sure know if this is what's going on with the audience, but maybe they're starting to get involved in some uh, worship of angels or just thinking that angels are, are too important. <clears throat> and I think that we too, we can get too focused on the servant rather than the one that they are serving. And I think that shows up actually in church, right? Many of you, you come here on Sundays, you're here to, for the sermon or whatever it is, and that's the only time that you're actually hearing from God all week, right? You're relying on the church, on some pastor to tell you what God is saying rather than actually just going to the one that we're pointing to. City light is not the point. Our messages are not the point. We are all pointing to Jesus. And some of you are focused too much on just like church stuff and just relying on us, relying on your city group, rather than actually focusing your life on pursuing Jesus, not just pursuing church activity. Are you just relying on us pointing you to Jesus rather than just going to Jesus yourself? Are you getting in the word? Right? Are you getting in the scriptures? This is God speaking, speaking to you. Are you listening to him or just relying on some servant, some messenger? Don't wait around for Sunday morning for the, the guitar to start playing for you to start worshiping God. Right? Be worshiping God all week at your workplace, at your home. I'm not saying that's just singing, but just be honoring your life or honoring Christ with your life. Don't wait around for Sunday for this stuff to happen to kind of now hop into I'm going to pursue Jesus mode, right? Are you relying on the servant more than the son? Second application of this, I'd say, is stay fixed on Jesus. Stay fixed on Jesus. And so <clears throat> one thing when you're reading Hebrews is kind of knowing the context. So the church at this time, they're being persecuted. This is probably under uh, the emperor of Nero, the Roman emperor Nero. And so times are really tough. Following Jesus is, is hard during this time. And so some of them, it seems like they're really struggling. Hey, should I keep following Jesus? Many of the readers that, that are reading Hebrews, they're Jewish Christians. And so for them, angels, they helped bring the Old Testament law to Moses, right? They're bringing this, this message. And so maybe they're feeling this pull to just go back to being just Jewish and not, and not knowing Jesus, not following him. Because, hey, when they were just Jewish, there wasn't persecution really going on. Hey, but now that we're these Christ followers, man, now things are pretty tough. This is, this is hard. And maybe they're feeling this pull to go back to the old ways, back to their old practices, 
And maybe they're just wondering, hey, because of all these problems that I'm facing, is Jesus actually really greater at all? Is he really more powerful than the prophets or the angels? Is he really greater? And so the author here, he's telling them, hey, stay fixed on Jesus. Hold on. Don't let go. Don't go back. And it, it, you know, as you're reading through Hebrews, he, he repeats that over and over. And, and, and maybe you've trusted in Jesus and, and, and you feel the pull back. Maybe you feel the pull back to not trust in Jesus, but in yourself and how good you are. I do this, especially when I sin. Like I know the truth. I know that I'm made right with God because of Jesus, because of his sacrifice. But I feel like sometimes that I, I need to be really good to get God to really like me. If I'm really living right, then God will really be pleased with me. I think, yeah, God, you, you've made me pretty clean and you've made me mostly right with God, but I need to be really good so that I can be really forgiven. If, if I'm good, then I'll be more right with God. And I, and I feel this pull not to believe in the gospel, not to believe in Jesus, that he has really paid the full price for me and that he makes me totally right with God. I think that it's like, hey, Jesus, Jesus gets me mostly there, but I need to finish it by being obedient, by being a good little Christian. Is Jesus really greater? Or maybe you've been following Jesus for a while and you're feeling the pull to go back to your old life, back to that old sin that you're involved in. Or maybe you're just feeling the pull to, to just kind of go back to the ways of this world and how everybody else is living their life. Right, you look around, maybe you see some of your friends, and yeah, hey, they're sleeping around, and that seems pretty fun. Man, that would be really fun, and, and you feel the pull to stop following Jesus, and you feel the pull to do those things. It seems to be working out for them. Maybe, maybe you've been sacrificing your time, your finances towards God, towards his kingdom, towards what he wants to do in this world. But you look around you and the people around you, man, they're saving money. Man, they're spending money on super fun things. They're buying that car. They're going on that vacation. And you feel this pull to, to stop giving that part of your life to Jesus. And you're just feeling this pull to be like, hey, I'm just going to do things for myself. Or maybe, maybe you're already right now, you're like, man, I've, I've actually already am doing those things. Maybe I'm already actually involved in some other relationship because I felt the pull and I just went over there. And so wherever you're at, I just, here's the question that I have for you. Is Jesus really greater? Is he really greater than your old life or the ways of this world? Is he really greater than for you to indulge in some sort of sin for a moment, to feel some sort of pleasure, and then for it to just be gone the next? He, he's the one who died, who paid the price for his sin, the one who rose again. He really is greater than those moments of fleeting pleasure, right? And the, and the angels, these awesome beings, they worship him, the son, because he is so much greater than them. And we too, we worship him, we follow him, we trust him because he is so much greater. 
His righteousness that he got for me, that he earned for me, is so much greater than any righteousness that I can work for on my own. Right? His sacrifice is so much greater than any sin that I've committed. His ways are so much greater than our ways or the ways of this world, what everyone else is doing. His presence brings so much greater joy than anything that this world has to offer. And since he is so much greater, why would you ever turn back? Why would you ever not just keep holding on to Jesus if he really is so much greater than everything else? Stay fixed on Christ. And so we see that the son, he's greater than the servants. And the second point, second observation, is that we see that the creator is greater than the creation. The creator is greater than the creation. Verse 10. And you, Lord, again Yahweh, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. Right? Jesus made everything. Again, this is pointing back to verse 2. Again, affirming that, that, that Jesus, he's the creator, he's God. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He's made everything. He created the universe and everything in it. That includes angels. And again, the author is emphasizing how much greater, how much more superior Jesus, the son, is to them because he's the creator and they're the creation. And the main reason that the author is saying, hey, the reason that the the creator is greater than the creation is because creation will perish. But God, the son, he is eternal. And so this universe, it's passing away and everything in it is passing away. It won't last forever. But Christ, he is eternal. Jesus' reign as king, him on the throne, that's eternal. But the earth, the stars, the space, they will perish. They will wear out. And so if you, if you ever bought a new car, maybe, maybe you're like me and never bought a new car, um, and you have a friend that bought a new car, um, what's one of the best things about it? The smell, right? I mean, I just have a friend, we were driving around yesterday, and I got in, and I was like, gosh, this smells so good. It smells so clean. My van smells like a ton of cheese. It's smashed up. And like, you know, I have three kids, and you know, I keep thinking, we're not going to allow you to eat food in the car. But then I forget. And I'm like, whatever, eat it. Um, and so it's just, it's not clean. Um, right? They even have car fresheners called new car smell. Why do they have that? Because the smell wears off, right? That new car that you get, it only lasts so long. And it, it, it's the same with everything. That new house you get, it'll eventually become a house with some problems. And it won't be as clean as it once was. That new job that you got and how excited you are and everything about it, eventually it just becomes Monday and you don't want to get out of bed and you just got to go to work. You know that relationship that you're in? It's so exciting. Oh, we're so in love. And ooh, she did this, he did that, and they said that. Oh, it's so fun. Well, eventually it just becomes, hey, did you put the clothes in the dryer? Right? I've been married for 13 years. It's, it's awesome, but like, that's what it becomes. It becomes just Tuesday. And you're like, let's pray. It's time to go to bed. 
right? And I know some of you are like, man, he doesn't love his wife. I love my wife. She's awesome. But that's how it goes, right? That, that, that newness or the greatness of these things just wears off. They change. But not with Jesus, right? His power doesn't fade. His rule doesn't change. He's the same. His love never reaches its limits. His character is never compromised. His greatness doesn't wear off like the greatness of new things that we get to experience just for a little while. Jesus, the creator, is greater than the creation. He's greater than these created angels. He's greater than everything. And the author here is nudging his readers. Why would you look more to angels, these created things? Why would you look to them more? Why would you give them more influence, more authority in your life, being that they are created? Why would you do that rather than Jesus? Because he's so much greater. Right? And for us, this might seem like obvious. This might seem like this no-brainer, like, duh. Why would we look to something lesser to give us more life, more authority in our lives, more influence? Why would we look to these lesser things? But we do the same thing, right? We, we place more importance on created things than we do our creator. And I think that there's kind of like three big ways that, that we do that. And I, this wasn't intentional, but they all start with P, so Yay. Um, so the first one, people, right? I think that this is one of the things that we mainly give ourselves over to, this created thing, is people. And for some of you, that's a relationship that you're in. Maybe it's your boyfriend, girlfriend, maybe it's your spouse. Your life centers around that relationship, right? You, 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 will, you will compromise your convictions, what the word of God says and the joy that he has in his ways, you will compromise all of that just so that you can experience what you want or you could get something from them that you want or so that they just stick around so that you could get what you want. You will make sure that you spend so much time with them and you'll just push away other people, chances to serve, chances to be involved in what God is doing all for this relationship. Maybe for you, it's not that relationship that you're in. Maybe it's the relationship that you want to be in. Right? You just so want that boyfriend, that girlfriend, or to be married, that companionship. And I want to tell you, that's fine. That, that's a good desire. But maybe right now you're just struggling to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because of this relationship that you want. And your life is centered around that. Rather than fixing your eyes on Jesus, his plan, and the truth that no girl, no guy can complete you. Only Jesus can do that. He is, he is greater than any future spouse or companionship that you can have from a person. For some of you, it's your kids. Kids make crummy gods. But we live in a world today that wants us to idolize them. Right? And, and, and our lives become focused just around our kids, making sure that they're happy, making sure that they're successful, making sure that they have everything that they want, that they're really good at sports, even though there's no chance they're going D1 at all. We got to center our lives, our schedule, around everything that they do. Now, first off, your kids are not the most important relationship in your life. First, that's God, but also your spouse is more important than your kids. In Proverbs, it says, train your child in the way that they will go. That's good news, people. That means eventually one day my kids are going to get out of my house. 
go. Buy your own food. Bow. Make your own mess. Well, actually, they make their mess now, but clean up. Right? They get to get out. This is great. But, but who's still going to be there? Hopefully my wife. Right? The two shall become one flesh. It says that about marriage. It doesn't say that about your kids. Also, if your life is revolving around your kids, their happiness, their joy, guess what they're going to do? Their life will revolve around themselves too. Right? Your job as a parent isn't to make sure that they're successful. Your job as a parent isn't to make sure that they're happy or that they're good or behaving. Your job as a parent is to point them to Jesus. For them to know the thing that is so much greater, and it's not themselves, it's not even how awesome you are, or the things that this world has to offer, it's to point them to their Savior, Jesus Christ. And they see that as you center your life around Jesus, not them. Point them to Jesus. And so, people is one big way. I think the second way that we have our lives centered around created things is our priorities. Maybe you're making work the biggest priority, making money, make sure that you can buy that house, buy that car, go on that vacation. I think probably for most of us, the biggest way that our priorities get out of whack and we are serving created things is Netflix or our phone. Right? I I love those things. They're fun things. I mean, I'm super excited for Stranger Things to come out. Can't believe it's next summer. That's too long. Get it out now. I thought it was coming out Halloween, like last year. Bummer, right? But th- I mean, those things are good, but the amount of time that you spend on this thing, spend just watching TV or whatever, be honest with yourself, is it really distracting you from the greater thing in knowing and pursuing Jesus? And you're just kind of checked out on these things. Do you pursue Jesus in his word regularly? I'm not saying it has to be every day, but just regularly to hear from him. Do you, do you pray intentionally, spending time with him? Is it intentional that you're spending time with, with Christ's body, the church, to worship, to hear preaching, to sing, to celebrate? Being in community, is, is being in a city group a priority in your life? Or is it just like, well, I'm just really busy? Or, hey, I'm really tired because I stayed up late. And I just don't have the energy, and I don't know if I really want to go to church or anything like that, or I don't already know if I want to get in God's word or anything. Is Jesus, knowing your creator, the one who died for you, loved you, purified you from all sin, the one that is sitting at the right hand of the Father because he paid for your sin in full, it is finished, is he the priority in your life? Again, I'm not saying that reading your Bible or just coming to church is the goal. That's not it, but knowing Jesus is. Do you, do you need to kind of shift some of your priorities in your life through the help of Christ, through his strength, his grace, his spirit working in you? Is he really greater than Netflix or your phone or your comfort? All of those things are perishing. This is what 2 Corinthians 4.18 says. It says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Why do we do that? Because since what is seen is temporary. It's 
vanishing. It's perishing. It's changing. It won't last forever. It's temporary. But what is unseen, Jesus is eternal. And if Jesus, the creator, is so much greater and eternal, then we fix our lives on him, not what is temporary. The third way that we worship the created thing is our own personal Jesus. And so listen to me really carefully here. Jesus is personal. You can have a personal relationship with him. But what we tend to do is that we tend to make up our own personal Jesus. We create God the way that we want him to be. Rather than the God that he's revealed himself in scripture. And, and like, like God's not a buffet. Right? You can't just kind of come up here and be like, hey, I'll have some of this, I'll have some of that. I don't really want that, so I'll just leave that part alone. Right? You, can't really, you can't do that with God. And then this happens when we say things like this. I don't think that a loving God would ever... Dot, dot, dot. There's no way that God would allow... Dot, dot, dot. I think God just accepts everyone. He has to do that. Right? There, there, there's this movie, it's called Stepford Wives. Kind of a little bit of an older movie. And it's about the, these, all these married couples. And um, after these husbands, after they married their wives, they actually find out like, hey, wait a minute, sometimes my wife, she, like, we don't always agree. Hey, she, she contradicts me um, many times, and, and I don't really know if I like that. So, so they put this microchip in their wives to control their brains and, um, to, so that they will just do whatever they want. And so the wives, they're just in the kitchen, happy, whipping up whatever the men wanted. Yes, dear, whatever you say, dear. And so the, the wives basically become like, almost like this appliance that never contradicts them. And so have you made God a God that never contradicts you? Is God just telling you, hey, whatever you want. Yes, dear. What would you like, dear? This is what theologian Karl Barth says. He says, if God doesn't make us mad... We're not worshiping him, but ourselves. Do you think that your idea of God is actually greater than the one that he's revealed himself in scripture? If, if you make God the way that you want him to be, he will always be less than who he really is. You cannot make God more good or better. The God of creation is the God that you need. He's the only God that can satisfy you. He's the only God that is just enough to not let any suffering, to not let any sin, any wrongdoing not matter. Right? He, he is just enough to make sure that that will happen, that all of the suffering, all of wrongdoing, all of sin matters. But he's also the only God that is loving enough to pay the price for all of that himself. Right? He is the only God worth following and giving everything to. And so any other person, any other priority, any other kind of own version of God that you could come up with will always be less and in fear. Jesus really is greater. And that's what the author of Hebrews here is, is saying. He's saying the son is greater than the servants. The creator is greater than the creation. And so what I want you to really ask yourself today is this. Is Jesus really greater in your life?
really? Is he, is he really greater than you getting to do some things that, that bring you pleasure for a moment and then just fleet away? Right? Is he, is he really greater than the, than the, the trials and the, the tough situations and these hard circumstances that you are facing? Is he really greater than that and that he has power over all things and that he is in you, he's beside you, he is walking with you? Is he really greater than your circumstances? Is he really greater than your sin? Right? In, in that only he can make you completely right with God. Is he really that great? Is he really greater and more beautiful and worthy than those things that are distracting you from pursuing and knowing him? Is he really greater? And City Light, I just want to assure you, he really is greater. Don't turn back from following him. Don't let go. Keep holding on. Keep staying fixed on Jesus because everything that you turn to for life, for joy, for meaning, for being right with God, for those problems that you're facing they all pale in comparison to Christ. He really is greater. And so yes, following Jesus is tough. Yes, making him the absolute most important thing in your life is tough and not getting distracted by other things is tough. But this this Jesus that we worship, this Jesus that we trust, this one that we follow, that we pursue, he is far superior than everything. He's the creator of everything. He's the owner, the authority of everything. He is fully God, and the radiance of his glory. He's the one who saves us, purifies us from all sin. He's the one who loves us so huge in that while we're still sinners, he died for us in our place for us so that we might have eternal life so that we can know him. Our Lord and our Savior, he really is greater than everything. Let's pray.